Welcome to my first ever podcast. My name is Casey Bates. I am a record producer. I have been doing this for a little over 10 years now. And I had this idea not too long ago to go back and talk with the bands of the records I've produced. You know, I've got quite a few under my belt now and a lot of fun stories and and a lot of records that meant a lot to a lot of people. So I thought it'd be fun to sit down with the bands and talk about our favorite things about the process or our least favorite things about the process and, and maybe how we feel about those records years later. The format is a little loose. I'm, I'm just working it out, but I, I've kind of settled in on the idea of I want it to be more or less just a conversation. So today I'm going to sit down with Bobby Darling of the band Gatsby's American Dream, and we're going to talk about the record we did together in 2004 titled Volcano. The song you heard starting the podcast is actually a demo from that record, and I'll actually kind of sprinkle a few of these throughout. I've, I've, I've been going through all the old files and finding stuff, and there's some little things that are interesting. So let's hear a little bit of music here, and then we're gonna, just going to drop into the conversation I had with Bobby Darling. Thanks for listening. I see the world in a swirl of hues But my favorite color is shame Tonight the sky is painted Tonight the sky is painted Melancholy And the wind sings songs as if it would by All right, we're going to talk about Volcano. We're talking Volcano. So this was my second record I ever did. What was your first record? This Providence. Oh, that's right. I always think of that as like one of your like a like a follow up to Gatsby's. That no, was... that was the first record I ever did. Well, the first thing real was Land of Lost Monsters. Yeah. Which, you know, something went on to great acclaim and <laughs> did it. No. <laughs> Astronomical sales. Scott Scott Weber loved it. <laughs> he still denies that he said anything bad about it. He said it to my face. It's on the internet somewhere. I know he's like, oh, God, it's the worst artwork ever. <laughs> oh, no, you got worst artwork at the year award, didn't you? I think I did. I think there's like a, a Razzie's for bad artwork, and I won for that and for Search Rescue. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows you did that until now. <laughs> um, so, Volcano. Volcano. This was, uh, I was like, a, I don't know, maybe a year into even really recording full-time. And you guys gave me the shot with uh, Land of Lost Monsters. That's right. And who, that record was done through LLR. LLR. What does that stand for? Little League Recordings, I think. Sounds right. Sounds like something Johnny would make up. Johnny Minardi. He's a, a scene staple. He played a part in discovering lots of bands like Hidden in Plain View, The Academy Is, Gatsby's American Dream. I think he had a hand in uh, Finding Panic at the Disco and... Forgive Durden, this Providence. I mean, the guys. Hey, I brought him Forgive Durden. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, Johnny's my manager now, so he's on to management, and he works at uh, Equal Vision. I did Land of Lost Monsters, which came out okay. I mean, it was like a low budget, and it was like the first 
real thing I did. It, you know, I don't know. What do you think? People love that EP. I mean, it, it got it did get it's charming. It did get rave reviews. Like everyone, everyone thought that we like made it sound bad on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> like they're like, oh, it's such great like alt country and like all they they were seeing all this weird stuff about it. And I was like, no, it's just a really bad recording. <laughs> well, right, wait, didn't we do? And you were on your uh, Fender Deville kick at the time. Yes. Yeah. So it was like really weird tones for what you guys do. We were. We were very, and this is probably going to come across several times talking about this record, is we were very much in the uh, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not uh, kind of mindset. Not from the band Arctic Monkeys, but it was just, if anybody said we had to do something or that it was expected that we would do something, we would be like, oh, I'm going to do the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we had used you know pretty high gain amps up until that point, and then for some reason we got it in our heads that, oh, that's what people think we're going to do, so we're going to do everything through a Fender DeVille now. <laughs> And we, yeah, I mean, it probably wasn't the best, I don't know, it probably wasn't the best thing for me to do, just because it was like, every, you were coming off this pristine, beautiful sounding record with Rose yeah. of Sugar, and it was like, oh, there's their friend, he's doing this EP, and it's like, I mean, in hindsight, I can't believe I even got to do Volcano. It was it was a really poor career choice for that to be your coming out party, <laughs> I know. for you to do the departure EP where we did something really weird. Like, totally. It's like, like, hey, this will get me work. Like, not. <laughs> no. So then uh, it, was, it was probably right after that is when I did this Providence record. And I want to say in the fall of... So, did, so we finished the record in the fall of 04 and then it came out in spring of 05? I think so, yeah. It was, was that quick of a turnaround? It was, I remember, I think we were in the studio for Thanksgiving, so I think we were into the winter a little bit. And then it just came out within, like, three months? It came out in April. Just I guess in- that's probably right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, when, when after I did this Providence, and you guys were writing and gearing up to do this record, we, you, you were willing to give me a shot. <laughs> Again. <laughs> It wasn't even like that. Like, well, you, no, it was because I mean, you guys, you guys had just signed a Fearless. Yeah. So this was your first Fearless record. But we weren't giving you a shot. We're like, hey, kid, you got a lot of potential. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, you'd always been kind of like a, you know, additional member to the band and what we were doing. Like, we were doing all of our demos with you, and you know, you were so involved in our process. But it that just, doesn't mean I'm good. Yeah, but it, I would say Fearless gave you a shot because they were like, this guy. And, yeah. and, you know, with us, we were we were just certain you were going to make a great record. So we weren't really, we weren't sweating it, but the label was. Like, they were like, don't you want to go record with the guy that did the Taking Back Sunday record? And we're just like, I know, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, they also didn't really know the band they had signed when they signed you. They, they were going off of In the Land of Lost Monsters. They're like, oh, the internet likes this. All right, <laughs> let's, let's sign this band. That's what helped the record deal that that's it they were they were just like all everybody thought in the land of lost monsters was really clever like because we were like singing about the record industry like oh how clever for back then and so there was you know a lot of conversation started by that on the internet and uh you know they were they were really hot on it and you know i remember when we had our first phone calls talking with them they were like oh yeah gatsby's american dream real clever really uh tongue-in-cheek about the music industry we love it we love it let's sign you and and uh i i don't think that they'd even heard like ribbons and sugar <laughs> i don't yeah no i don't think so that, i i loved ribbons and sugar when that i mean when that came out that blew my mind james paul wisner did a great job wisner well, that so we actually got a tweet from at Bren Quinn. Yep, and he said, for his question, which relates to this, is it's the only Gatsby's LP to not rage against the industry. Hmm. 
why. It's true. Uh, I mean, because, yeah, we came off of the EP that way, and then Volcano was... How quickly did, did we decide it was going to be a concept record? Um, I think, I think w- uh, when we started writing... Um, I think like theater was one of the earlier tracks that we kind of came together with the lyrics and stuff. And um, is, is the word volcano in that song? No, it's Pompeii that was like the yeah the yeah catalyst. Pom- yeah, Pompeii was definitely the catalyst where we're like, hey, this can be something that ties the record together in the writing process. We didn't just like come up with this you know out of our ass while we were in the studio. We actually had like a kind of a, a theme and a central idea that we started when we were writing. Uh, so, I think I was listening to, uh, like, Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness a lot, uh, and I, I really liked just what a big, sprawling, you know, but contained idea that whole double record was, and how all the branding was very consistent, like, everywhere you looked was Billy Corgan with his Zero shirt on, and uh, and it was just kind of like everywhere, and there was such a strong, pervasive vibe. Um, and I was like, "Gosh, we need something iconic like that." And that's what where I was kind of like, "Let's let's make a record that's like one punch at one idea." And uh, you know, I don't, which I don't, actually had its positives and negatives. Yeah, I mean, for a band like you guys coming off of Ribbons and Sugar, it was a pretty big departure, I think. Like yeah. like just vibe wise and artwork wise, and just how it all fit together. It was. We went from being very sporadic and random and, you know, quirky and stuff to having like a like a a guideline in place for how we put it together. So it was it felt a little less uh spontaneous and a lot more uh designed. We must have demoed the songs like different versions of the songs many times. We did. Yeah. There were and there were several songs that kind of different iterations of them morphed into other tracks, which also kind of organically led to the concept record kind of thing because we'd be working on one song and then use a part from that song in a different song because we didn't know that either songs were going to become fleshed out songs. Or You know, I was thinking about that this morning when I was listening to the record and, and it was, uh, if I remember right, I, I don't remember who came up with it, but it was that it's not the same, it's not the same yeah. line in Volcano, the, or sorry, in theater. Yeah. And I don't oh. remember whose idea... Isn't it? No, no, no. It's not the same. It's not the same. Came from We're Not Orphans on Ribbons and Sugar. Right. And then Kirk put it back in on uh, Shh, I'm Listening to Reason. Oh. And that was like the the point where we're like, oh, this is cool. Let's just start sharing stuff between songs. Yes. Yeah, that was that was actually really surprising because, you know, Kirk uh, Kirk Roach. I'm listening to Reason. He wrote all the guitar parts. Pretty, pretty much just put the whole thing together. And uh, when uh, he you know was showing us the parts, and then it got to this part where I was like, that riff sounds similar. And then it said the line from Ribbons and Sugar. I was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. These bands weren't doing that yet. And, you know, now people do it all the time, but I, I'd never heard anyone do it. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And we and we went kind of crazy with it there's like a ton of stuff in these songs that like f- that call to each other yeah even you know i don't know how many call outs there were to like ribbons and sugar i think there's a couple yeah but i i thought that was a fun and clever thing for people that really wanted to dive into the record and like spend some time with it and and kind of tie everything together well i remember i drew like a 
I drew like a diagram, like a webbing, uh, where I drew like a basically the central idea of you know volcano and stuff, and then had the, the different songs branching off of it. And I wanted each song to have th- at least three pieces that tied to other songs on the record, because e- even if they were just little subtle nods, that it would somehow be supporting the central idea yeah. musically um, too. Yeah, music- yeah, there'd be like a sonic element. You know, there'd be like something that was really subtle that. You know, 99 people out of 100 would never even notice, but I wanted to know that it was there because then I felt like maybe we were, you know, tapping into something that would really resonate with people. Yeah. So this podcast is going to be about like three or four times as long as the actual record. (laughs) (laughs) At least. This is for only super fans. Do you remember when we, uh, uh, Absolute Punk, remember we were doing like a journal yeah that we were posting on there that's floating around out there somewhere like we were got really in depth gosh i had like the technical side of it i was so wrong (laughs) i was so wrong at the time i was like i mean it just it's hilarious one of the things that i did on this record because you know we were just you know i i was taking it so seriously and i wanted it to just be perfect as we recorded it in hd well it's called hd and that's the sample rate was 88.2 um, which is twice the sample rate of a, of a CD, which is 44.1. Um, what that also means is that the computer has to work twice as hard to process anything. So you need a lot of power. And these songs, you know, I don't know, probably half of these songs were 100 tracks. I mean, it was like they're, yeah. the layer. And so it was, a, it was a battle. You know, I mean, we're talking computers from 2004, 2000, yeah, and... It, it it's something I haven't done since. I, I also don't find the audio fidelity to be a big enough difference to deal with the issues of that. I mean, especially I mean, everyone's listening on MP3s now anyway, so I'm not I'm not worried about it. But that was one of the things we did, and it was kind of I remember we were in the in the Absolute Punk journals. I we were talking about that. You know, it's all oh, it's going to be so clear and good. I mean, it's like and it, it it I don't think it helped at all. It was just a big pain in the ass. <laughs> Um, so yeah, let's, let's start at the top here. We got the song theater. Um, did we, did we decide right, how quickly did we decide that was going to be the, the, the first track on the record? I didn't really realize that until, uh, we were almost done with the record, I think you, and you suggested it. You've always been really hands-on with our sequencing and uh, like where I, I didn't hear that song as being like, oh, that should be the song to start the record. Really? No, not at all. It, it's, the label got excited about it, and you were excited. But it's hard for me to ever tell when, like, I'll write a song, and I think it sucks. And then you're like, man, that song's great. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then something I'm excited about, you just think is, eh. <laughs> no, we were going to start the record with Loosening of the Shadow. That was what the original plan was. Cause, uh, and we'll get to that song later. Oh, that's right. But that yeah. song was split in half. And the, the piano intro on the beginning of Loosening of the Shadow was supposed to be the beginning of the record. And then um, the part where it comes rocking in was going to be the last track of the record. Mm-hmm. But then we were like, well, this just kind of it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere just as a thirty second track, and it it kind of feels obscure. And then you you came up with the idea to combine the two tracks and start with theater. Oh, okay. Look at that! <laughs> I do not remember that at all. A little Gatsby's trivia. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about theater, like this the the song. What was it about? Oh, uh, it was. I mean, it was definitely a nod to that Smashing Pumpkins melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. That's why I used the word melancholy in the chorus. <laughs> Look at that! I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you were probably too embarrassed to say that that was from at the time. I was gonna tell. Yeah, I, I was really precious. I was. 
I, I want to, anybody who's listening to this, you need to be familiar with uh, Eastbound and Down, because I was basically like the Kenny Powers of, you know, music back then, because <laughs> I just thought, I was like, and uh, the, the game alone was mine to win, because I am the best, and fuck you, everybody, because <laughs> that was my mindset, I just thought I was so brilliant, and but I was also incredibly insecure, and like, if anybody ever said something I wrote sounded like something, or, you know, oh, I remember that. was yeah. an homage to something, I would just get furious, and so I would have never told anyone that. I'm completely that. original. I'm so original. I'm so brilliant. And I'm going to change your fucking life. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was it was kind of a nod to, to that record. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely, like, like you said earlier, it was a departure from Ribbons and Sugar. We went from being super obscure and esoteric to being a little bit more broad. Um, and and I, was, I was going for that. So. You know, and a lot of these songs... You know, you guys were known as a non-chorus band, but there's a lot of choruses on this record. There are. I mean, and most of the time it it shows itself as like a two-chorus song. Because theater is that, right? It's just a t- it's got no, two choruses. Theater's got the three choruses. Yeah, oh, it does. we went all out on that one. <laughs> Going for the gold. <laughs> the label loved it. They they did. They're like, let's make a let's make a My Chemical Romance music video for this. It'd be perfect <laughs> with vampires. So when you were writing that song, you don't you was that how did we how did that come together? Was it something that you wrote and then we figured it like did it change a lot in the studio? Did or did you bring that in and we we're like this is good? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it, a lot of these lyrics were written on tour. Uh, you know, this was before there was iPads and smartphones, so we just had like notebooks floating around in the van, and I uh, I was reading. Uh, uh, interview with a vampire and there's this part where you know uh, the main character Louis goes to Paris and there's this thing called the theater des vampires <laughs> and it's like that was kind of inspiring some of the imagery so I, I wrote that wrote a, wrote a chord progression for it and uh, the song was done it's, it's very basic structuring so that song was yeah. kind of put together there's a ton of production stuff in that song, like little beeps and boops and weird sounds. Like most of these songs, we just went nuts with. Yeah, there's like a crazy like. Yeah, on the bridge, yes. the, the tom, the tom part. I it sounds. I don't even know what that is. It's cool. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think it's something we. It was like a MIDI thing that we locked into the grid and right over the top of the tom. Yeah, I, I think it sounds really cool. And then it's got like that. Yeah, the little steam, like the the <laughs> steaming pot sound. Now you've used that on several records, or was it several parts on this record? Uh, I don't. That's not what I've used a lot. I, I, you, I might have did. used it before. That that steam kettle going off. You uh, you brought it back in Badlands. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the yeah. That's podcast. So I'm glad we don't have to transcribe this. <laughs> I'm going to type out But yeah, that steam kettle thing was cool. Yeah, theater. I mean. I still think that's the best song to start the record. Yeah, you, dude, you're you're the sequencer. I mean, what do you think? No, I agree. No, this record. Hey, hey, hey bro, this, <laughs> you read the reviews. <laughs> I mean, this record's kind of a big deal. <laughs> did, did we get record of the year anywhere? Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, I, th- I think there was a lot. Certain people just 
incredibly hyped it and said it was like the best thing ever and we got like a perfect review in alt press and and lots of magazines and stuff. Wait, there's a funny story about that. What? Didn't you get a bad review in alt press? Somebody somebody wrote a review and said it was just a piece of garbage, like awful <laughs> record. I like vaguely remember this. I don't even remember who wrote it, and they sent it to our label, and the label was just like, you know, and this is uh, to Fearless's credit, they're like, fuck you, you know, somebody else write a review of this record. We're not going to tell you to write a good review, but this person is ridiculous. And it turned out, in hindsight, the person was because, I mean, I've never read a bad review of Volcano besides that that review, but that person just. Uh, either didn't get it or didn't like us or what, but he like went off. It just, it was kind of vindictive. Like it was like, fuck this band, this band sucks. And it was like, it was just really unprofessional that alt press would even think about publishing something like that. So I think Heist, this record's so good. Well, no, but it was just, it, it, it was an unprofessionally written piece. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just, you know, basically trashing the band. And, um, I, I don't remember if Heisel wrote the, uh, the review for that one. I know he wrote the review for, uh, self-titled, but uh, whoever wrote it, you know, give it glowing reviews. But everybody did. I mean, it, I, I think it, in hindsight, if like if the review or the record had been trashed universally, then we would be assholes for thinking that that review is dickish. But you know, in the big, yeah. in the big scheme of things, I think it it really did turn out to be. That's a weird anecdote. I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> I just like kind of popped in my head. Um. So the next track was Pompeii, and I remember this was something that like it was really important to me. That you guys bring back the punk beat. Yes, you were like so pissed off that we didn't use the punk beat anymore. <laughs> you were like, you wanted to one to give a nod to the fact that that was our roots because yeah. we, we grew up listening to all the fat wreck bands. I mean, that's how we learned how to play guitar. Was learning how to play No Effects and Lagwagon songs. Um, and you know, our first record, Why We Fight, was all punk beat all the time. <laughs> and uh, and then Ribbons and Sugar, we didn't play the which punk I loved. Beat. I loved that record. Yeah. And then yeah, Ribbons and Sugar was just like there was a backlash against the punk beat, and yeah. you guys. Re- Fused. We were we were very much like, oh, you think we're gonna use the punk beat? We're not gonna use it once. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Casey Casey was like insisted that I do a song with the punk beat. So. But it, even it's just like what ten seconds. Yeah, it's, it's a, such a little a, burst. I still love that part when oh, it happens. It's one of my favorite parts on the record. I'm so glad we did it, and it's nice that it only happens once. Yeah. It, it reminds me of that saves the day song on. Uh, Sound the alarm where they bu- yeah. bust into the punk beat just once, and they hadn't used the punk beat since uh, "Can't Slow Down." No, or no, totally. through being cool. Yeah, no, and I, I, had, I had talked to Chris about that later on, and he said that's the, they retired it. That was the last time that he was ever yeah. going to use it. Well, me too. I mean, we've never done it since then either. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it was, it was so good. It was a fun little tip of the hat, but that song rocks because of that. I mean, I, I, I love when the punk beat comes in. So you wrote Pompeii, right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, you know, about Volcano. Did that, was that, was the song written as a direct response to me telling you I wanted a punk beat on the record? Or did, is that something you added into the song? I think I was, uh, you said, make a song that has a punk beat. <laughs> like, just, just like one little part, it'd be so cool. And so I was riffing and I just, I put the song together and then it got to that part and I was like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it, it was definitely, uh, you know, you, uh, you got the, the wheels turning to make that song come together. But. When, you know, it, and it just reminded me because I did the same thing on Land of Lost Monsters. With what? The very end of the, of the intro track. 
Oh, that's right. I forgot. You made it to the punk beat. Dun, yeah. dun, dun, and it's dun, like, dun, dun, there's no, dun, dun, but there's dun, dun, no music. No. It's just the drums. The drums do it for a second. Like yeah. they, they, they play it for, it was like a, one of those things where the drummer plays a part and just throws his sticks in the air and everything falls apart. That's and, right. And I just, I forgot about that. I love that too, though. It's cool. That beat. I can't, I can't get rid of it. Well, there's, it's, it's, this has happened several times since I've been, you know, aware of, you know, music and the music scene and stuff where a certain genre will become so omnipresent that there's a, just a knee jerk reaction against it. Uh, it happened with ska, yeah. you know, where it's like, if anything that was any, you know, even resembled ska for several years was like faux pas. Like you cannot, you know, use that beat. You can't do any upstrum guitar parts. You can't do anything like that because it was just so like, ugh, so out of, you know, just whack. And, the punk beat became that, you know, like those... It's back now. It's it's totally back now, but for several years it was like... Because we loved the punk beat, we loved punk music, and I think, um, you know, Gabe from Midtown, we were hanging out with him, and he listened to Wi Fight, and he's like, this, you guys are great, this record's great. He's like, but you you got to stop using the punk beat. He's like, nobody's going to take this seriously. Like, you know, this genre is looked at as like these dudes, these old dudes in skateboard shorts and big shoes doing pogo jumps, you know, and... He's like, I think your, I think your band is better than that, and you know, you're gonna, you're gonna find yourself stigmatized, and you know, you're, you're gonna, your music's gonna be less accessible. Like people aren't gonna, not, people aren't gonna, you know, give you a chance and and hear, you know, everything that's underneath the surface because they're gonna hear that punk beat and, you know, turn off the record. And uh, and there's some truth to that. There's I mean, total. Oh, yeah. he was so he was so right. But you guys went a little too far, <laughs> like to the point where you're like it's like you can't even get close to it. And I was like, well, you know, it's so weird because we were so anyone that tried to you know tell us what to do or give us a suggestion, we would be like, fuck you. Except for that one time, <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah. you know, he 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 said that and we took it to heart. You know, it was it was a I don't know. And I, I mean, I think it's a credit to him. I find myself it's we've talked about this before but it's hard when you have friends that are in another band and you don't like what they're doing when they show you some music and you're like oh it's great but you're like oh this sucks yeah <laughs> and i always have the hardest time saying something bad to somebody and you're like you know what i'm just going to be honest with people from now on and so i, I mean but see that's the thing is like if you're honest with somebody it comes back around like you say you have a lot, i mean in hindsight, maybe you were pissed off when when Gabe said that at the time. Or I, prob- I probably was, but you know, we took it to heart and it helped. Yeah, and then and then yeah, down the line, you're like, gosh, he was right. I'm oh, so glad he said something for sure. I mean, ribbons and sugar would have never happened if he didn't say that to us. And I, I love the record. None of these records would have happened. We would have we would have been a band playing a genre of music that had been dead for five years. You yeah, know? totally. And rather than being relevant, you know, and so. But yeah, moving on. Uh, the Guilt Engine. Let's talk Guilt Engine. So, all right, Guilt Engine. We were obsessed with American Idiot at the time. And uh, I'd never written a song like we this. We were? I was. <laughs> I was listening to that record, like, nonstop. And, I mean, it was... I love that record. I love that there was that cohesive concept to it that kind of brought all the songs together. But I'd never done a song where it was just... Before. And uh, Guilt Engine was just a driving kind of rocker like that. And... Uh, so that that uh, American Idiot definitely uh, you know influenced this song. I remember we uh, that's Guilt Engine was a song we struggled with structurally. Yeah, we spent a, we spent a lot of time kind of rearranging and moving parts around because and there's a and there's a uh, a B side kind of remix floating around. Yeah, and I'll pl- I'll put it in here for you guys to hear. But it's got a it's got a whole verse in it 
right after the first chorus? Yeah. We structured this, uh, the original version of Guilt Engine, completely like a pop song. I mean, it was like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And mm-hmm. uh, and then um, we just felt kind of uncomfortable with yeah. it. And I don't think that we had enough lyrics also to fill that third verse. Well, and then and that song just ends with that just kind of, yeah. you know, musical outro <laughs> thing. And, and I think that was a... It was one of those things where we're like, let's. We we didn't know how to really end the song, yeah. and, we're, and we're like, let's just let's be confident and say that yeah, this is how we want it to go. <laughs> like we're just gonna like go some on some big instrumental outro. So we, yeah. we 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 sung vocals on that outro. We tried so oh many things, and like we couldn't get it to to jive. And then we just said, let's just leave it like this. I mean, the song's the song's great as is. It's very cool, but we, you know. I, it was there was growing pains where I think we you know we weren't comfortable with just that that super pop structure, which is going to come into play with some of these later songs yeah. that we almost cut from the record, um, and and so we were just like ah let's make it a little bit more random let's cut this verse out and then put this this ending on it and now we look like we're artsy yeah no exactly <laughs> exactly I hope I'm not crushing anyone's like you know like people that love this record or something and be like I hope this is. Uh, you know, making your experience more pleasurable when you listen to it and not, like, <laughs> ruining it for you. You're like, those blowhard jack-offs. <laughs> well, but, see, I mean, the thing, I, I don't have any, I don't, there's there's only, there's there's not a lot on this record that I'm, in hindsight, I'm bummed about. And, no. I, and, and The Guilt Engine isn't one of those things. Like, no. I, I, I love that song, and, and that outro's cool. Like, It's a great song. It, yeah. it, it just, it... It, there was nothing wrong with it having a traditional structure, and I, and I was just so insecure about what people would think, you know. And I, I just like, oh, I don't want them to think I'm predictable. Yeah. My head around So I let my body fall in step And I've lost the rhythm and all I am left with Is my regret Can you hear the A mind, a mind of metal and wheels. Yeah, this this song blew my mind. Um, yeah, Kirk, mine too. Kirk wrote this song, um, and 
he he joined the band uh, right before we recorded Ribbons and Sugar, and he contributed, you know, a, a little bit to the writing process um, for Ribbons and Sugar. But this was the first, you know, fully fully fleshed out song that he brought in, uh, and you know, I, I, where I was just like, oh wow, this is great. Didn't he? He brought it in with that intro sample too, didn't he? Yeah, he he he, he really liked to start it with the applause. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the I love I love the name of it. Am I mental wheels? It's a uh, tip of the hat to Treebeard uh, from from Lord of the Rings, the big walking tree. Yeah, he's talking about Saruman, the wizard, and he's talking about because Saruman got corrupted by his love of technology and power and stuff, and he says Sar- Saruman has a uh, mind of metal and wheels, and <laughs> and we really really liked that. Yeah, I guess we should probably talk a little bit more about your liter- literary references because that was a big part of you guys. Uh, I mean, especially this record. Sure. You guys were a, a book readers band. We were. I mean, it's it's funny in hindsight because at the time we were like in our early twenties and uh, we thought it was you know those were just the things that we were like really into and stuff. And I don't think that we realized at the time that most of that stuff was like young adult lit. Yeah. <laughs> it's See, like, like now if the band came out, it'd be all about Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like these, we were writing about stuff that we were like really into in high school and stuff. And it was like all those books that we were, you know, referencing were like, you know. Like, it's also your audience though. I mean, you yeah. guys are all in the same space. Yeah. We, we were. And it, it was all the stuff that we grew up loving and being into and everything. But it's like, you know, we were being like critically acclaimed. Like our music was like so smart and stuff. It was like, really? It's kind of like high school level reading yeah <laughs> we weren't <laughs> we, we were definitely not as uh i don't know it's it's funny but yeah so but i, I really liked the flavor of that song too it had this kind of like latin feel digga 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 da, da, da. That was something that was kind of new for us as well. Yeah, and like a Kirk, sassy yeah. guitar riff. And Kirk was, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, where you've got all these different external influences, different bands that I liked that that were, you know, influencing my writing and everything. But Kirk actually had a big influence on me with the the way that he wrote and his, you know, his feeling for something that could be like dancey or uh, almost Latin feeling. I don't know. It was it, it was very. I know he was very influenced by the police and stuff, and there was a, a really great kind of rhythmic element to everything he was writing that I ended up incorporating into my writing. And um, so it was, it was a very cool uh, partnership. No, totally, totally. And that, I don't think we, I don't even think we changed that song that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. Like he brought it in, and it's, it's a short song, and it's, uh, we loved it. There's so much like crazy percussion going on in the yeah. background. There's like bongos and like that's one of those claves. things. Yeah, we had like a day. I don't even know. Tom might have done that. I think they were out of, out of his studio and they just went nuts with. They did. They worked on that and then the end of I'm listening to Reason. Yeah. and just went nuts with the percussion. And, I think they all got high. And yeah, just probably. Like, <laughs> just like so much crazy stuff. Uh, uh, Fable. So Fable, and this is probably your most famous for literary references, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, like, every, every kid for, like, probably three or four years did, like, a high school project using this song. Yeah. We got so much, like, fan email and, uh, you know, just messages on social media about, I brought this song in for my American Lit class, and or is it American Lit? William Goldman? I don't know. Anyways, honor, Honors English. Honors English is what it was. Uh, and, and uh it's it's just it is so such a silly simple breakdown of that story but um 
I think when people are in high school and they're reading about it and they find it uh, interesting that there's music that's... Oh, totally. Well, I mean, and so this song is a song you wrote, I think, for you, right? It was like a side project for... It was going to be like your own... It it wasn't really a Gatsby song. No, it was just something I wrote. We recorded it in your attic at your old house. Yeah. And uh, we we used that crappy PV amp. (laughs) Yeah, we used used a little PV amp. A Mexican Telecaster or something. (laughs) And... uh, those are still the guitars that are on the song. Yes. We, and they're out of tune, and like they, they sound like shit, but it was like we tried to re-record the guitars for the record, because we, we actually tried to redo the whole song, and we we did the drums, and we tried to come up with the guitar tone that we liked better than the crappy demo we did, and we could not. everything and we we spent like hours trying to dial in a different guitar tone yeah. and recording it doing different passes and it was just like just didn't sound right so we just we just kept the crappy guitars that we recorded on the PV like a year <laughs> earlier and it was perfect like I, I think we had probably just like the cheesiest fake electronic drums on your demo yeah and that was that was a cool thing because when we did the real drums you put Rudy in a tiny little booth with his drum kit and you took away all of his cymbals and his toms <laughs> and so all Rudy had was his kick a snare and a hi-hat yeah and so yeah. if he had to crash he'd have to like just hit his hi-hat well and we had some weird idea of like that's how the strokes would do it or something which is not the case at all <laughs> no. but it was like we wanted it to sound kind of just stripped down simple and yeah. stripped down um we did record re-record the bass because Kirk's got some cool little bass licks in that yeah. song too yeah he does we did something kind of interesting in that we actually brought our entire Pro Tools rig into the mastering suite and came right out of Pro Tools and went right through all the mastering gear, which is way overkill. But it was one of those, <laughs> Tom really thought it would help to not bounce down the song to a wave file and then have them master it. He thought it would be cleaner if we just came right out of Pro Tools. I mean, <laughs> it's a bit much, but we were working on Fable and we were mastering it and that song there was something bugging i know it was bugging me about that song and you don't probably don't even remember this we added the intro in t- after the first chorus that's right where that that key reprise happens after that first chorus that didn't originally happen all the way up until mastering and it was kind of we were in there and we're like let's just let me let me cut and paste that intro into right after the course and let's just see what it feels like and it immediately felt so much better and we just said all right let's do it and it was a last minute i completely forgot that yeah Yeah, that 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 is wild that never happens in mastering no you know you know you know the record's done the record's supposed to be done (laughs) i actually will get to it but we we actually changed one other thing on this record in the mastering but yeah i hope it's something you told me about no i did (laughs) casey's always tinkering no yeah yeah. oh gosh um uh oh one thing that was fun about fable was uh nick threw down the i see the world in a swirl oh yeah from the intro song from theater and uh that was something he came up with we didn't even think about it and yeah and because we were really running with that idea of re bringing stuff back yeah and and i hadn't uh we fable was the first song written for this record but it, it wasn't intent by intent but I had written it and recorded it at Casey's house like a year earlier just as a Bobby Darling song. 
And, um, you know, it was, we were never going to do anything with it. And I liked that, that riff that I used for Fable. Dunna, dunna, yeah. dunna, dunna. And so I was like, well, that was a throwaway song. So I'm going to write a new song using it. And that was theater. And then we ended up bringing Fable back. And I was like, oh, I hope nobody notices. <laughs> but then it was like cool that, that they were tied together because we, we meant to do it. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> Gosh, where do we come up with this stuff? <laughs> Dance around the fire. Oh, the Giants drink. So this was the the last song we added to the record. Yes, I think, and it was it was was a nightmare. (laughs) It was a nightmare. It was we had delivered a twelve song record to Fearless. And they were, and they felt we were missing that one song. And we, but we'd already recorded this song before they were asking for another yeah. song. But we didn't show it to them because we didn't it, have a chorus. It, yeah, well, there's that too. But also because if they heard it, they would be like, oh, this, you know, it, it, it had such a hook to it. And it was structured. We, yeah, we it was very structured. So we felt they were going to force us to put it on the record. So we didn't even want to show it to them. Mm-hmm. And and we hadn't written a chorus yet. And and we we tried over and over and over again writing that chorus, and it just it was not working. Because Nick Nick wrote the lyrics to this song and he melodies. Did. He did. And the verses were awesome. The verses were lights and, out. And awesome. and we we were we were loving. And the bridge is incredible. Uh, we were so happy with everything, and we just could not come up with a chorus that we liked. Yeah, so we brought in uh, this guy, Shane Tutmark. Um, and he, we've, we've never co-written with anyone before or since. Uh, we just don't do that. That's I know, it's like the only time you've ever whack. done That's <laughs> whack. Yeah. But it wasn't whack with him. It was like, I had like a man crush on this guy. Because <laughs> he, he has this music project called Delure that I just loved. It's amazing. You guys should check it out. It's on Spotify and uh, iTunes Music. Um, Delure, D-O-L-O-U-R. And... Uh, He's a local guy uh, who we played with a few times, and he's like incredibly talented, but also incredibly good looking. <laughs> I'm telling you, I had a man crush on this guy, <laughs> and he's just got an amazing voice. And we were just like, "Hey, Shane, you know, why don't you uh, why don't you come and um, you know try writing a chorus to this?" And uh, he he gets in there, he's like, no, 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 just humming, and he's like, "Okay, okay, yeah, let's do it." And he just gets up on the mic and just busts out the chorus, and we're like, "What?" <laughs> Because we spent like a month trying to figure out what to put on this chorus, and he just nailed it. It was so good. play it for the label and they're like yes yeah you're and done even after even after we uh recorded it though and it was great the fact that it was a great song with choruses i didn't want to put it on the record yeah <laughs> but they were like, there's too many choruses <laughs> they were like this song has to, to and to me it's probably the best song on the record as far as like just a traditionally structured song goes like the the verses are great the choruses are great that bridge is lights out i mean it's that's this is the song we probably should have done a music video to over theater um in my opinion i just i i, I love this song um as i've kind of gotten older this song was like my least favorite song on the record when we made the record and then and now it's probably i'd say it's my second favorite now <laughs> wait what's your first we'll get to it oh we're not there yet <laughs> we'll nice get, we'll get to it so the next song is Shh, i'm listening to reason and another one that kirk brought in that's right and they're, you know, they're, 
listening to Reason and Mind of Metal Wheels, they're like they are tied together in a weird just the feel. Is yes. Like and I was happy that because I mean in, you listen to this record now, and you you probably don't pick out a minor metal wheels as some weird redheaded stepchild, but like having the second song from Kirk really helped fit everything in with the rest of the record. Like I, you know, it didn't yep. seem to stick out as bad. It definitely uh, broadened, you know, our palette. Mm-hmm. There, you know, because it was very this is a very Bobby Darling writing record because this was the first record we did without Ryan, and so we didn't ha- right. we didn't have Ryan's. You know, he had kind of a quirky flair for the dramatic with his guitar parts and his songwriting and stuff and you take him out of the mix and it's just a very you know it's one dimensional so it was really good to have Kirk's uh, tastes you know throughout the record but yeah this record this song was so cool I, I just remember Kirk writing this when we were on tour with uh, I think we were out with like Circa or Snake Across the Crown we were out with both of them at the same time anyhow he he had this little like this little amp that looked like a pack of cigarettes that he would like hook to his belt and he'd just walk around playing guitar because <laughs> it would play out of the out of the cigarette pack. Yeah. And he would just walk around going, Oh, that's pretty cool, dude. <laughs> and it turned into That's probably like I I don't I I still remember how to play that part. It's so much fun to play. Oh, it's it's a blast. Kirk's songs, if you're a guitar player, like these his his songs are so much fun. Uh, it's like it's a challenge learning them, and then when you play them, it's like it is just a, a thrill like playing through them. It's it's such a blast. No, totally agree. I remember we so with this song, I, I would say one of the things after the record was out and people were hearing it, I, I don't know why, but there would be if every once in a while there'd be a, someone that would latch on to that song and say that they hated the end of that song. I don't know if you ever remember that, but the, there, the drunken bar part. Yeah, like they, really? they felt it just went like. Beatlesy or something or something, <laughs> and it, I mean it is weird. For, I mean, you guys had never done anything like that before, but I remember yeah. it, it was one. Of the, I always loved it when we, you know, as we were recording it and when we finished. It, I thought it was a really interesting and fun part, but I, I remember just there was every once in a while I hear someone be like, "Yeah, that was really cool until they went to that stupid Beatles part," and I was yeah, like, "Well, that's so bizarre." Yeah, several because several reviews that was like that particular part was mentioned in like almost all of the rave reviews where they were just like something like transcendent occurred here. Yeah. It's like, and, and, and it was before, you know, you gotta remember this is before, you know, panic at the disco and these bands that were bringing in like violin plucks and all kinds of weird sounds into their music. So this like, kind of like, almost broke the fourth wall into, like, going into this, like, like, hey. No, totally. You, you think this is a genre? Wait, no, it's not. And, and uh, I mean, it was it was just so out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, I, I I mean, Kirk was next level. Like, we didn't even realize it. Like, I was so, like, beyond where I was at the time, and, you know, with songwriting and just understanding music. And it definitely had a huge influence on me. Well, and that was one of the, so that was all a Tom Faffel part too. They did all yeah. that out at his, we, you and I weren't even there that no, day. I was like, what the hell? No, I yeah, heard it? I was like, we, you know, cause the song's just rocking. It's all, you know, all these parts happen. And then it just kind of like changes. And I mean, and all the, all the music, but there's just like all kinds of weird little musical instruments happening and the, percussion. There's and some like, little like hand flute thing going yeah. on. But, and the funny thing is there's like multiple chord progressions going on at the same time. Like it's not like musically right. What's happening. Cause like one of the progressions is just dropping half steps, you know, just kind of what you expect, but that's really not the progression that's going on, but it's just, a, it's so chaotic. It all really works. I love it.
coming out of that part, I remember we wanted like kind of like a kick in the nuts to get you back into yes. the record. And, and that's that's what we always do. It, like it's it's like you get to that midway point of the record and it's kind of like, all right, we got to reboot. Let's yeah. let's get it, pick it up. And so we ha- we come to meet me at the tavern in Bowerstone and this I, I maybe you remember how st- this structure came to be because this wasn't it, this at one point was a full song. Yes. And we just weren't feeling it. I mean, I don't it, it, I mean it, it it definitely wasn't a, an album-worthy song, but we I, I, maybe it was me that edited it down to 30 seconds and was like, let's just put this as an interlude. Or I, I don't, I, I, I can't for life remember how it came, how it came around. So there's a there's like a two-minute song, and I think we called it like Chad's Revenge or something like that. It's out there somewhere, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it's it's basically this chord progression, but fleshed out into kind of like a... It almost feels like a, another American Idiot kind of song. It's like, dum, 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 I think that's dum, what we tried to... Yeah, we were like... That's right, we were trying to channel that song. Yeah, so we were we were definitely going for that that kind of Green Day vibe with that song. And it we didn't have enough lyrics. I think we had like one verse and then a chorus to that song, but we didn't have enough. So... But we had this like little short thirty second clip that was uh, that was really working, and Nick um, Nick took the lyrics from the chorus of Giant Strength, um, where it says "Got a brand new face, uh, so brittle that it's falling apart." Got a yeah. brand new, f- and and he he threw it on this chunk of music where it's like "Got a brand new face." So brittle it falls to pieces. Nick's the singer. I'm not the singer. <laughs> Wait, you're not the singer? That's beautiful. Um, and it was just, it was just epic. It sounded so good. And so um, we, uh, we, we kind of used that as the reboot for the second half of the record. Yeah, and we were like way ahead of the game. We basically created a ringtone and put it on the record. That was a ringtone. That was a lot of people's ringtones. <laughs> I just, I had that as my ringtone forever because the whole song could play before I'd answer the phone. <laughs> That uh, that name's a reference to that video game Fable. Is the song Fable a reference to the video game Fable? The name of it is. <laughs> the name of it is. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Fable. Fable's not even about Fable, but we were like playing that game nonstop in the studio. Like I was obsessed with it. <laughs> oh, I remember. Meet that. me at the tavern in Ballastone. <laughs> God, I was like, I was like up in my Xbox, like nobody's business at that time. <laughs> Oh, dude! That's just every record we were original Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> was that the was that the Xbox that survived the crash, or did the crash come after? No, the crash was before this. Oh, so, it was. Yeah, the crash happened, and then we, we that's when we you know decided to you know get our stuff together. So the band actually rolled their van where? What what state? South Dakota. No, like yeah. so you rolled it three times in the snow with a trailer attached. Yeah, we were going. Rudy was driving like probably. 90 miles an hour and he claims he hit black guys but I still to this day think he fell asleep but but we like we just started going like horizontally down the road I mean just like completely like you know perpendicular to the way you're supposed to be going and, and like we're sliding and I I was asleep on the back of the in the back of the van on the floor in a sleeping bag with no seatbelt on nobody was wearing seatbelts and we rolled like boom 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 and went down this embankment off the freeway and uh... and, there, and you had an Xbox and like an like an old big TV just sitting in there, right? In the van with to us. To play Halo. I can still picture them flying around in like <laughs> slow motion. Like It was like you were in outer space because they were like floating. <laughs> it's like insane. That TV should have hit... It could have hit somebody. I can't believe nobody got like hurt or killed. Like It's just 
unbelievable. I just remember the Xbox. It could you could you could shake it, and there was the pieces. Glass. There's like inside of it, there was shit that was just rolling around, yep. but it still worked. You you could hear the glass like sliding around inside of the Xbox, like t- till the day I, I, I sold it or lost it or something. <laughs> so wild. Oh man. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track. Uh, yeah, here. yeah. So, sorry. Uh, Tangent. Your only escape was the track after that. That was a, gosh, that was a brutal song. It's, I mean, it's great, but it was like it was so much work because there there was probably another minute's worth of music that we cut off of. Yeah, we we did a lot of restructuring on that song. And and it, what I remember about that was we had the music down, and Nick had wrote that first verse. Yes. And I, it's one of those lessons like producing a record and in you know engineering and stuff but like he comes in with an idea and he throws down the vocals in that first verse and what's on the final record was the very first take (laughs) the very first thing he did um and i remember at the time we we heard it we're like whoa that's awesome it sounds so cool and so but that's all he had we had he hadn't done anything else yet so when we came back around to revisit the song and finish all the vocals it was kind of this thing where I didn't know any better. I'm like, well, we have to redo those vocals because, I mean, they were just demo vocals, you know. And and I remember we spent quite a while having Nick try to re-record that first verse, and we could not get the magic. You yeah. know, it was like it was – he. I mean, it was literally like – I think he was like holding his – you know, I don't know if he, he probably was holding his little Nokia phone up at the time, <laughs> but he was like reading lyrics. I don't know what he was reading lyrics, but he just sung them in there one time, and boom, and that's what's on the record. And I don't know. It's one of those lessons that now it's like when something sounds good, just leave it the fuck that's alone. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Evil has a sweet, sweet sign. Wickedness is fresh and new each time. Do you sense it? Can you sense the glory in it? I was just like you I was the puppet to the demon And you can have it too The power and the feeling It's in the semen And in the blood It's in all of us was a challenge getting we loved that intro so much that we kind of pushed the song through i feel i mean like it's it's definitely one of my lesser favorites on the record um you know i I don't think the song reaches the heights that it does after that first verse yeah i i think we just got into like a weird we call it like demoitis when you listen to something too much um and kind of become fixated on it, and the, as a demo, and then when you try to recapture it, it doesn't have the these little nuances that yeah. you, you liked about it originally. And there was, I think, you know, we heard this glorious piece that you know Nick wrote and just belted out randomly. He was probably making it up as he went along. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's that talented. And and then you know, my imagination was just like, oh, where's this song gonna go? It's gonna soar, you know. And and it's it turned out to be a great song, but it it, it was just something where. Um, it was just it was just so weird writing in the studio and kind of coming up with stuff as at, you know off the cuff like that. Yeah, when, and the, and this song was to me I, I I see it as a victim of that process a little bit. Not that it's not a great song. I love it. Nick's just going off on it. No, totally. <laughs> and, and what Kirk and Rudy do on it is just insane. I I love the rhythm section on this. That whole if there's a way in, there's a way out. Where uh, Kirk and Rudy, the, what the bass and drums are doing is so cool. Like I didn't give them any any kind of you know insight into what I thought it should be. They just kind of went off. <laughs> Ru- man, we haven't really talked about Rudy. I mean, Rudy's a freak. <laughs> he, uh, 
I would say maybe more than any band I've ever worked with, his style is imparted on the music more than just about any drummer I've ever recorded. Totally agree. And I don't know. I don't I mean, if I remember right, with a lot of this stuff, he would. <laughs> we would do scratch guitars to a click track for a rough idea. We'd send it to Rudy. Rudy would play the drums on a steering wheel while he was driving out to Tom's place. <laughs> like he would make up the parts and then he'd go and sit down and he'd record these drums and they were almost always just insane. Like we were just like, what? How did you, I mean, like he's such an outside the box thinker when it comes to this stuff. And I mean, all the credit to him, man. It's like, we aren't writing the drum parts on this stuff. He is. I, I've never like, like had Rudy play something and be like, you think you could do it more like this? Yeah. <laughs> like he's just uh, everything he comes up with is like the best thing ever. Like he's and and th- what's crazy is he will have a, a recording project where he's going to go into a studio and record drums with like everybody watching and he'll have never actually played the song on a drum kit. Like he'll have only played it on a steering wheel. Yeah. And but he'll just sit down at the drum kit and just do do and it's like perfect and it's like <laughs> he's the, the greatest musician I've ever uh, worked with or played with. He's that talented. Ah, oh, dude. What a freak. Such a pleasure. <laughs> so, so now we move on to what is my favorite song on the record. Really? The Hunter. <laughs> this is the one, dude. <laughs> uh, see, this is probably my least favorite song on the record. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Why is this your least song, favorite song on the record? Uh, I think it's because, it, to me, it's it's so just, it's much not, ribbons and sugar. Good. It's just not good. It's just not that good. <laughs> Bobby, do, you, do the song again, but do it better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I, I I, I think the song's fun. I it just it didn't. Uh, it doesn't feel like a complete idea to me. I okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting opinion. Even though it's not right. <laughs> well, no. Tell me why you think it's your favorite. Uh, there's just so many moments on here. Like it, it goes to a lot of different places in a short amount of time, and it it captures just so much of what Gatsby's did well. Like we were riffing in different time signatures, but it, it felt. It never feels jarring. Like it's like Rudy's just going off when and it just feels effortless. You know, there wasn't we didn't have to overthink it how we put this music together. And I think like in this song, there's like there's a a five four part, a four four part, a seven four part. Like we never, but we never even like I never like got you know a piece of paper out and wrote it out. It was like it just I was just riffing and Rudy played drums to it and. Uh, you know, and I, I, I really love the the lyrics on this song. Um, and I, I, when Dan, so Dan from this Providence sings this part on the song, it comes in twice, and it's like that's right. It's one of my favorite parts on the whole record. Uh, like we we kind of distorted his voice, and um, he uh, I, he just really just like obviously I love Nick's vocals and what he's doing on on the song and stuff, but it's such a contrast between him and then when Dan comes in with, with this part and. Um, Gosh, I just, I know I'm just like, go, let's, let's talk about how much I love my own music. <laughs> I highly recommend this one. <laughs> that For all those reasons, I love this song, and the corporations are cool. <laughs> this, was, uh, that, this was the other song that we changed in mastering. Um, what did you do? Uh, it's the echoey drums right after. That's cool. Yeah, we, it didn't, that, that effect wasn't on there. That and like we were, slap back on the. 
Yeah, I was just uh, we were in mastering, and I, I, I that part had always been bugging me, like it didn't transition right or something, and and so I I took the room mics and I just slid just the room mics back, ah. you know, and so you, and so you actually just got this crazy slappy delay thing that happened, and then I love how that part sounds. Yeah, see, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Coming to my favorite song on the record, which is "Speaker for the Dead." Really? Okay. Yeah. T- tell me about "Speaker of the Dead," Casey. No, you know, there's, a, I, uh, I think we tasked Nick with, we, did, we had the music for this song. We were actually yeah. recorded the music for the song a long time. Yeah, this was, was this an outtake early. from Land of Lost Monsters. Uh, I don't know if it was an outtake, but it was, rec- it was, it was an early thing we did at Faffel's house. So I remember it was one of the first things we ever recorded there. Yeah, and. All we had was music, yes. right? And I and I think we went to Nick and said, I, I don't know if we gave him the idea to write something that referenced the song Fable or if no, he, he came up with that out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I remember we said some like we wanted it to be a reference to something on the record. Like yeah. we we kind of gave him a direction to go and say, hey, write something that you know is kind of pulls this whole record together. That's it, exactly it. And I'm like. I love the lyrics, like the like just the imagery that I have when I listen to the song. It feels like this like culmination of the record for me. Yeah, and there's that. I don't even know if you call it like a bridge at the very end of the song. It just gives me chills every time. It's, a, it's the goosebump. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it still does. It's got some. We have some harmonies on that part, and it just like it's such a good like. It just drives it home for me. Like that's. It's just one. Of, it's my favorite song on the record. I, I love that track. interesting too because you've got all of a sudden the record kind of is like fable and speaker for the dead become this big big part of the feel and they were the songs that were not i mean like fable they were both written i mean like well before and not really any planned out thing and it just kind of all fell into place yeah yeah. and this is the next one's my least favorite song (laughs) i know why i would say the guitar playing was subpar (laughs) At best, if anyone <laughs> listens to the guitar playing on that song, they're going to notice there's a, it's it's a step above the other guitar playing on this record. All right, the here's this is literally the reason why I don't like this song is because the guitars are perfect. Like, and Gosh, it's because I wonder who played those guitars. Casey played the guitars on this song, and I was thinking about it this morning because I listened to the record to kind of brush up, and I was thinking about like, so I didn't. I wasn't really gung-ho about this song being on the record, and I was thinking about how people in bands can be a little bit difficult and elusive about stuff that they don't like or that they don't want to do or when they have to work yeah. on someone else's song. Or, you know, the, you'll find a band member, because we've produced bands and Casey's produced tons of bands, and, you know, you'll have a guy that's like, you know, just a little bit less available. You need him to come in and record something, and he's just like, oh, I'm, you know, like I've got something going on that yeah. day. And it's like twisting their arm to get them to... And so I, 
I wasn't really gung-ho about this song, and so Casey ended up recording the guitars because I just wasn't showing up to the studio or being a little bit difficult about it. And so he's like, well, fine, fuck you. I'm going to do the guitars. And he played them completely perfectly. There's always a little bit of slop in my playing, and uh, like Casey was like, he's like, I'm going to play these guitars fucking perfect. <laughs> I'm going to play a show these guitars. <laughs> Oh, man, I had a blast recording that song. I bet you did. He's like, man, every record should be like this. <laughs> yeah. I wish this whole record was like this. No, so we, that song was a song that, um, so when I was in school for learning how to engineer, I needed a band to record, and Bobby was a friend of mine, and, and Gatsby's was going, and I was like, hey, can I use you guys to, you know, learn how to record? And did you write Badlands? Yeah, yeah, you wrote yeah. Badlands, and I wrote that right after Ribbons and Sugar. Right, and so you know, Rudy came in and recorded the drums, and and you did the guitars, and Nick ended up being not available to do to do the vocals, so we had Ryan sing the the vocals. He was at the Taking Back Sunday show that night. <laughs> oh, Nick was. Yes, he's too busy. He's just too busy. He's at just Taking too Back busy to, to help out little Casey. <laughs> no, so Ryan sang it, and I had loved how it. You know, I thought it was a really cool song. Everyone, everyone at school like flipped out. They're like, "What the hell is this?" Because everyone, <laughs> everyone else was recording just the worst bands. It's like <laughs> you're you're in school, you're not good at this, and it's really hard to get a band of any talent to work with you. And so here I got these guys that actually like they had a they have a record deal, and it's like it just it sounded so cool. And you know, I don't remember at what point in the process, but at some point I think I was like. Let's let's just try recording it and see what happens, you know. Yeah. And you were really reluctant to do it, and I and so then I took it upon myself just to like, all right, I'm gonna. And so I like recorded all the 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 guitars for it, and and it sounded amazing. <laughs> and so we're like, let's do this. Let's have Nick sing on this now. And so we had Nick come in and sing on it, and everyone loved it and thought it was like the best song on the record and we're like it's here we go i prefer the acoustic version on in Lost monsters oh yeah oh, that's right i forgot about that one yeah <laughs> this song actually started as just a piece of poetry i i got uh, approached to write a piece of poetry for a uh, a book um I don't know, two years earlier. And so I just, you know, I love dinosaurs and stuff. And it was before we did it in the Land Lost Monsters. And I wrote a bunch of uh, kind of dinosaurs lyrics. It, was, it had some pretentious name like Dinosaurs and the Age of Civilization or something like yeah. that. It was something really, really cheesy. But the uh, the lyrics remained pretty intact when we actually turned it into a Gatsby song. Dude, such, such a great song. Yeah. God damn it, Casey. <laughs> oh, fuck that song. All right, last song on the record. The Loosing of the Shadow. Last, wait, one, one anecdote about Badlands. So the bridge part, uh, it says, what new devilry is this? Yeah. Which is, a, it's a line from Lord of the Rings where uh, the Balrog shows up in the Mines of Moria. Casey's like, oh, God. And uh, <laughs> Boromir says, what is this new devilry? And, and, um... So, some oh God, some fan posted a YouTube video of him playing this song acoustic, and he was reading the lyrics off of some page, and he says, What new delivery is this? 
he, he somehow he transposed the letters and wrote delivery instead of devilry, and he was just reading the lyrics. Maybe that's the lyrics he got off the internet. I don't yeah. know. But he got trolled so hard <laughs> by Gatsby's American Dream fans, like uh, on our message boards. They were like, you know, p- posting memes of him and stuff. That poor kid. And all he was doing was being a fan. You know? and <laughs> our fans were so fucking mean to everybody, <laughs> including to us. <laughs> they troll us so hard. Dude, you guys were cutthroat. <laughs> we were. Like, our fans were cutthroat. So. <laughs> So what new delivery is this became like a thing in, in Gatsby's uh, lore. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, gosh. Loosing of the Shadow. So this was, didn't, this one we had, yeah, we had planned out to be the first song on the record, right? No, it was going to be the bookends. So the, the piano intro was going to be the beginning of the record. That's right. And then the rocking part was the end of the record. And then we're just like, something crazy, let's just put them together. <laughs> it's like, why would we do that? <laughs> well, yeah, it would have been like a 40-second 40 40 song and then a minute-and-a-half song. So yeah. It would have it just would have kind of taken the air out of the balloon at the end of the record. So tell me about that song. What, how, what did, what's it about? Uh, it, this whole, the whole record, lyrically, and, and you know, we've never really dived into this because I, I you know, I'm always like leave your religion and politics at home you know don't it's like we don't talk about that stuff at the dinner table <laughs> it's like yeah we, we don't need to get into that and but this record is very much uh, a record about spirituality and faith and um, you know and and kind of f- finding out what you believe um, and I guess getting away from the some, maybe some of the things that you know, are, are, are imposed on you or that you've kind of fallen into when you were younger and, and kind of figuring it out for yourself. And, um, <clears throat> the, you know, the first line of this song, which was going to be the first line of the record is, uh, how could you understand the way I feel about God? How could you understand anything about me at all? And, and that, that was really a really important statement, which to me was the theme statement for the record was that, you know, you're, your faith and the things that you believe and how you feel about God or whether you even think about God is nobody else's fucking business. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like, so it's like, how could you understand what I feel about God? Like how, you don't understand anything about me. I'm a, I'm another human being. We're not, <laughs> you don't have a camera in, in my head and you know, there's, it, it, this isn't even up for discussion. So fuck you. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that was, that was kind of the theme statement for the record. And, and, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what the song's about, and and it, but then we go into like uh, some literary references from this uh, this trilogy of books called the Earth Sea Trilogy by Ursula K. Le Guin, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that we've actually tapped into in on several records. I think there's a the last song on in the Land of Lost Monsters called the Dragon of Pandor, which is a chapter from a wizard of earth sea and loosening of the shadow is also a chapter from wizard of earth sea so it's kind oh, of a, yeah. kind of a, a little tie in there um but the dragon of pendor uh in earth sea we've got a line in loosening of the shadow where it says uh i sail into the jaws of a dragon so that's a little little tip of the hat there <laughs> <laughs> everyone in the world in the seattle music scene was on this song so um Kaylin plays the guitar part. Kaylin from Acceptance plays the guitar parts on the uh, the March intro when the guitars first come in. He goes, I don't remember that. Ba-da-bow. 
on like this kind of epic guitar hit, and he, he was he like did it in slow motion too when he hits the guitar part, it's like, <laughs> and does a big like windmill, uh, <laughs> which is funny that that was going to be the beginning of the, of the record because it would mean that like I don't even play guitar on the record until the second song because yeah. Cannon did the guitars on this, um, and then Dan and Paul from this Providence did some of the. Uh, backup vocals but who's in Oz falsetto. right yep but so did Kenny from this Providence and they no, weren't no no Daphne sorry Kenny from uh, Daphne Loves Derby yeah yeah but they weren't even there on the same days it was just this was just kind of the song where like, hey you want to throw something on this yeah, song yeah yeah <laughs> so we had we had fun with it and this the the rocking part the again something we should transcribe me saying that that was actually something that you inspired me to write um because uh, I I want to say we were we drove to Disneyland and we were driving back from Disneyland. Was it that at this time? Yes, I, yeah, I think it was. When you mean that's the time we did the weekend yeah. in California? We drove all the way to. Dis- we're from Seattle. We drove all the way from Seattle to LA for two days to go to Disneyland one day, Six Flags the next day, and drive right back <laughs> after Six Flags. And worst decision ever. Horrible decision in this tiny little car. It was it was awful. It was like two of the worst days of my life. Well, no, I remember <laughs> the drive down was fun. Yes, and we're like, so full of hope and excitement. Yeah, and, we, and Disneyland was awesome. Yeah. And Six Flags. I'm like, we finished Six Flags at like seven o'clock at night, and, and we're then like, started driving. Oh no, we were so tired. <laughs> we're like, because we didn't have we didn't have money, so we're, we're like, broke. we're not getting a hotel, <laughs> and we're like, yeah, I guess we're driving at seven o'clock at night, and oh. Oh, it was the worst decision ever. Didn't you? Then when you get, I got to a bunch of caffeine pills and threw up. <laughs> I was seeing stuff on the road. Oh, it was it, terrible. It was it was the worst night of my life. But <laughs> but so Casey's like he's all amped up after ribbons and sugar, and you know was like he's like dude, you know, and he. He was very against us doing away with the punk beat and, you know... Doing away with punk rock. Yeah. And and, and he, he was, like, you know, very adamant that we needed to still, you know, declare our love of punk rock somehow. And he we were really into Propagandi, which is this amazing band on Fat Records uh, and several other labels, but... He was like, you need to write like a, just a like a propaganda kind of riff, just a dankity, just something, <laughs> something just fucking crazy, and start the record with it, and, and just be epic, and just be something that you know other bands can't do. Yeah. And and so uh, he didn't know this, but I went home and started working on it. And <laughs> so I wrote that gankity and and I, I wrote that whole thing, and that turned into this song, um, which you know to me was going to be the first song on the record, and ended up not being that. But that's kind of how it came together. I remember that part took a long time to get, to get down. What like to track it? Or yeah. to, you know what? <laughs> Suck it, Casey. <laughs> You think that's easy? You think it's easy playing that stuff? <laughs> no. I, I play it once, and I'm like, perfect. <laughs> All right, so, well, before we finish this, uh, did you get any questions on Twitter? I got, like, two, two uh, or three. Read yours while I pull up my Twitter. Well, so, at Stacy Warnick is asking, what are your favorite guitar sounds on the record? And maybe what, like, maybe what were the, what amps did we use? Uh, mostly JCM 900 Marshall. Um, I want to say it was that and probably a little bit of my Mesa Boogie. Your Mesa. Dual rec. Uh, there's a, I think we probably, you know, put a little bit of De- DeVille in there at a couple places, but I can't remember Not where. Not if I could help it. I know, you hated it. Um, stubborn. The recording chain would have been an SM57 on a Marshall JCM 900 lead cab 
um, into uh, probably one of my favorite mic pre's, like a Focusrite ISA, and then into Pro Tools. Here, I got another question from Brandon Soba, I think. Brandon Soba. Um, he asks, how did, how did the approach to engineering differ from Land of Lost Monsters? Um, and what was your take on the production of Ribbons and Sugar? Well, he made, I can answer that. He made it less sucky. <laughs> it wasn't as bad? <laughs> it was less bad. It was nice. Uh, I think the, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I mean, we, I probably recorded guitars the exact same way. So it definitely wasn't me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, no, it was, well, it was a combination of Bobby saying we have to use the Fender DeVille for everything, which is the worst amp for this kind of music. All right. <laughs> it's just the worst. Shut up. <laughs> and, uh, gosh, the bass does not sound good on that record. It oh, was the like, bass sounds horrible on Lost Monsters. DI'd it and then just didn't know what to do with it after the fact. I played the bass on Lost Monsters. I didn't even know how to play bass. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you got real sick during that I did. My, like, my eyes were like bleeding. I think I got bit by like a brown recluse spider or something. I got like really oh, sick. I had to get like antibiotics and stuff. No, I would say the biggest thing was time. I remember with Land Lost Monsters, we got we had a small budget. We were paying Tom for the room, and it was just a few days. I want to say yeah. that we recorded that. It was it was pretty quick, down and dirty. And when it came to Volcano, it was just like. All right, this is this is it for me. I have to like I can't come out with another Lost Land yeah. Lost Monsters. <laughs> Lost Monsters was just something we were not comfortable with. Like we we just were wanted to do something that was so different from what our comfort zone yeah. was, and so we just didn't know what we were doing. Like, like and like, I'm we, like four <laughs> months into doing this like full time. <laughs> like I'm like. I am just figuring out how this stuff works. It, it was definitely, like, it was nice to do something that was basically saying fuck you to anybody who said we have to sound a certain way. Like, that was well, important. And it's funny, too, because you're, like, you were trying to get a record deal yeah. at the time. <laughs> like, you're, like, here's an EP saying fuck you, but sign us. <laughs> we were the most, like, self-sabotaging band in the yeah. history of bands. Like, we, we, like, tried to fail so many times and <laughs> somehow succeeded in spite of ourselves. You succeeded. You were like, like, and then your last record, you just were going down with the ship. Oh, the last record, we were just like, fuck you. We'll talk about that one another time. We should do a whole other podcast. We were like, fuck all of you, fuck everyone. (laughs) So he also wanted to know what my take on the production of Rivers and Sugar. That, uh, Loved it. I it was one of it was one of the bigger influences on me in my in my early years getting started. I and I don't know that that even comes across in my productions, but it was. There was a lot of me asking Bob questions like, "How did James Wisner yeah. do this?" Or like, well, "How you know?" Because that was that's one of the, the more like perfect sounding records, especially at that time. Yeah. I mean, it was just all edited and tight and just immaculate, and 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 it also had its its own thing going on. Like yeah. Wisner had a cool like it's all it's a very dark sounding recording. It's not very bright. It's just kind of like it's just. But in, in the coolest way, Wisner's always kind of had leaned more towards the darker side of tones and stuff. But I mean, I think uh, that furthest seems record record came out right before you guys and that Wisner had done. Yeah, they were they were recording it when we went to visit Wisner because he wanted to do our record, and uh, so he was showing us tracks to like, yeah. kind of sell them on us, and we were just like, oh, "Holy shit, we got to record yeah. this guy!" <laughs> I couldn't believe that we were being able to record with this guy after I heard those songs. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> well, and that was and and for me, it was incredibly stressful because I was 
thinking I have to beat this production somehow. <laughs> I mean, and I, you know, and it was one of the reasons why I took so long on it. And I, I, uh, I don't know that it's better or worse. It's def, it's just different. But I, it was always on my mind. Like I was always like, shit, if this does not, I mean, like I was so worried people were gonna think that the production was terrible. And I like your drums a lot better than the, uh, the drums we had on Ribbons and Sugar. I thought the ribbons and sugar drums were so triggered so heavily. It just, the snare just. Well, and uh, after all this time has gone by, and I'm, and I don't have, you know, I'm, I feel very detached from Volcano, so I can listen to it now and almost hear it like I don't, like I didn't do it yeah. in a way. And I would say I, I, I actually prefer it to, to ribbons and sugar yeah. at this point, but, um, not like a big stretch. I just there's there's just a little more. I feel like a little more life in the volcano record. You know, a little more real sounding. I don't know. Yeah. You know, one thing is I was thinking about when I was listening to the record this morning was I remember with Nick, we were adamant that he not do vibrato. Yes. We were so hard on him. I mean, and and like oh you know it was it, like just like I was talking about the pressure I had to deliver something that you know, sonically, I thought was good enough. It's like the band had just as much pressure to deliver something, yeah. you know, the songs. And and for whatever reason, we latched on to this vocal thing that they had to be smooth and and, yeah. and hardly any vibrato. And there's there might be, there's a couple lines that do have it, but we kept every time Nick would do a take, smoother, yeah. smoother. <laughs> like, I feel, I feel so bad now. It's like, <laughs> we, I mean, we did that. The, the self-titled record was like, do whatever the fuck you want to yeah. do, Nick. And, oh, yeah. you know, it was like, just go for it. And, and <laughs> it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, I, a lot of times bands will overthink records too, you know, and it will it will hurt the record. And I, I don't know that we hurt the record, but we definitely overthought a lot of we it. We overthought everything. I mean, we were so crazy. I was absolutely out of my mind. I was such an asshole. <laughs> I I don't envy Casey's job. Like everyone that asks about like engineering questions and this kind of stuff, but just like babysitting such like sensitive egos. Like me and Nick were both like monsters during that recording. <laughs> like both of us. He'll say the same thing. I mean, we were both so sensitive and you know and both wanted our visions to be realized i mean gatsby's really was a multiple-headed monster because there was so many voices in the writing process you know and yeah it really was a collaboration and everybody wanted to write and everybody had their ideas for how things should go and we split all the songwriting royalties evenly and you know it was it was always you know just a a fucked up insane democracy <laughs> and and so casey had to kind of like you know delicately babysit all that and i don't know how that's he, that's my job I, dude, I just that's i mean that's the crowning achievement of that that record got made because like we wanted to murder each other at times I and mean, we were so like and if anyone made a suggestion to me i would just be like what <laughs> what do you mean i can play that part better what no it's the best it could ever be played <laughs> Yeah, I remember a few of those. Yeah, I, I had a few meltdowns, and uh, every—I mean, not, not everybody, but me and Nick did. <laughs> Man, yeah. If anybody actually listened to this point, I, I mean, I commend you, and I'm like, you have, <laughs> you have too much free time. <laughs> maybe you're on a, a plane or something. Hey, it's gonna be longer. I gotta put an intro on this thing, and maybe, put maybe some music, some music in, in here and stuff. This thing's gonna be like three hours. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. 
I don't know. I I think I I did want to address that. Um, you know, because I don't think we really got uh, that Bren Quen's question about why this record didn't rage against the industry or whatever. But I this record's kind of refreshing to me because we didn't do that. I, that yeah. was such a prevalent theme in in so much of our other stuff. I mean, from when we first started the Why We Fight record, we talk that song "Nobody Wins" is t- you know about bands and you know the scene and blah blah blah. And it's you know I think we did have like we were very outspoken about that kind of stuff and we put it in a lot of clever ways but you know it's almost like you're beating a dead horse at a certain point and i think that's what turned a lot of people off about self-titled like i i love self-titled so much it's like my favorite record of ours but it's like you know having done records since then that were just writing about life and about things that aren't the music industry is like gosh i was really not uh I wasn't spending a lot of time describing things other than just what I was doing in music at the time. And yeah, I think somebody it, that, that hit me one day when I, I was reading a review of a piebald record and uh piebald, like most of their songs were like about being in a band and being on tour and stuff. And not most of them, but a, a, a lot of them, they're like, well, this, this record is, you know, I'm sure really, you know, interesting to other bands that are on tour. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, I know what he's talking about, but it, that's so esoteric. Cause normal people are like, I don't know what, the, like, what's that? Like, I can't really relate. And totally, so. totally <laughs> touring problems and booking problems. <laughs> These are like first world problems. Yeah. I mean, like there's so many bands that would like love to go on tour and get screwed over by a booking agent. <laughs> like, yeah. like, well, gosh, can I please go on tour and only get paid a hundred dollars a night? Cause that sounds pretty fun. Uh Oh, did it stop? Oh no, it's good. No. So uh, yeah, I mean that's us us bitching about stuff is like so uh, just a sign of entitlement to me. <laughs> like in retrospect, it's like we were so spoiled. We got a tour and play with these awesome bands and have a label put out our records and pay for us to record. And you know we had our our gripes and stuff. But like, gosh, how lucky we were. Now that I'm you know in my thirties and you know not doing that and just working a normal job and stuff it's like this was a, such a cool experience absolutely Vol- volcano was you know it was, it was it was so cool to make that record with my best friend and uh you know for it to become such a seminal record of that era you know now there's all this like 10 year talk and a lot of those those records coming out and this record is still in a lot of people's conversations for an important record from back then and just the fact that we I mean even like today we, you know I uh, this podcast kind of came about last minute and we just you know sent out a tweet and get it you know real quick everyone's like whoa cool <laughs> you know it's like well, it's, it's weird that it's still relevant 10 years later to people what we did and uh, you know it's but the, again that's just like that you know we were we were just so lucky you know i i just feel so fortunate that we were in the right place at the right time and doing this with these people and you know all the the memories that we were able to make from going on tour and getting in van Rex and being broke and people getting too wasted and you know falling off the stage and just <laughs> all that crazy stuff that happened it's like i wouldn't i wouldn't change a damn thing <laughs> awesome that's thanks a good for, note to end it on thanks for listening guys yeah thanks for doing this casey you know it thanks for being here so you're gonna do more of these i think that's the plan i'd like to kind of go through my discography and maybe get like a this providence one yes. forgive durden fear before the march flames that'd be awesome yeah it'd be pretty cool to like sit down with everybody and kind of just revisit these because i don't know it's like like we're talking about it's fun to kind of it's been 10 years for a lot of these records yeah it's a this podcast really probably should have came out about 10 years ago (laughs) i'm sure a lot more people would have listened to it 10 years ago yeah (laughs) damn casey a little late a little late here but Uh, part of the thing is i think we're gonna do uh 
if this thing comes out and does, you know, anyone wants to hear it, I want to do one for the new record you just did for the Money Pit. The Money Pit, yeah, we would, we would definitely. That'd be, uh, it'd be fun to revisit that record because it's not like a trip down memory lane. It's like actually right now. Yeah, it's just happening. Just came out and, um, yeah, very cool. cool. But Let's fuck Jurassic <laughs> World. <laughs> hey, <laughs> on that note. All right, later. Thanks. What on earth can it For all the wrong I've done Oh God From the depths, from the depths I cry out your name I'm sorry So is it any surprise then The things I've done with my hands Is it any surprise then The things I've done with my hands So is it any surprise then I've been obliterating planets in my mind in my mind obliterating planets in my mind so is it any surprise then the things I've done with my hands so is it any surprise then the things I've done with my hands so is it any surprise then Things I've done with my hands